Yes, thank you. The honor, I love the honor here, don't you? Honor is a powerful, uh, powerful move in the kingdom. It, you know, it's not, just, it's not just about kings and priests, but the honor that is given um, in the kingdom is special. And I do love this place. This is my 17th year here. I know, man. Um, and this is, this is my 38th year in youth ministry, but it hasn't bothered me a bit. Anyway, sorry, sometimes I just like go back, but, um, I, that's why I love this place because you realize half the school are teenagers. It's true. Half the school, just about half the school are teenagers. Um, if we throw the faculty in, it'd be over half. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's up here, I'm just saying, just, all right, anyway, um, if you would go to John chapter 14, I can't think of a better way to bring some closure to this semester than to talk about the most important relationship that you have on this earth, okay? Um, last spring, I know probably most of you may not have been here, but I began this message, and I, I did not complete it, so I want to do that today, and I went back and listened to it, and um, really feel like the Holy Spirit wants this moment in your life for this season in your life, okay? I, I can't think of a more important message for today in the church. And I know that it, uh, some of the things that I say will be a bit controversial. Um, you're welcome. I think that's what we're supposed to. It, it, nothing new around here. <laughs> um, but let me say it again as you go to John 14. The most important relationship that you have on this earth is the Holy Spirit. It's not your mom or your dad. It's not your brother or your sister. It's not your auntie or your uncle or your grandma or your guardian. It's not your bae or your bestie. The most important relationship that you have on this earth today is the Holy Spirit. I would contend that the most important relationship that you have on this earth today is not Jesus. And I'll get to that in just a moment. And I'm just going to use his words, okay? Uh, Because you realize, I know that we're in an academic institution, in a scholarly institution. You realize that Jesus talked more about the Trinity than he did anything else. Not money. Not death, not even heaven. Jesus talked more about the Father, himself, and the Holy Spirit more than anything else in Scripture. Look it up. By far, over 500 times, Jesus mentions the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Heaven is second. It depends on if, how many different topics you put, put together, and it's half of that. There is nothing, there was nothing, there was no message more important from Jesus than the Trinity and its role in the salvation of mankind, right? You you see where where I'm going. I'm not trying to be exclusive or to leave Christ out of the message. You didn't come to a chapel this morning and have to write home and say, guess what? They're not preaching Jesus anymore. Okay. Uh, I, I think on the contrary, I'm going to preach Jesus in some of the most important words that he said. And it begins in John 14. Look at verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another what? Helper. 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And then he goes on and describes that relationship. Go to, go to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm abiding with you. But the helper, everybody say helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my, are you seeing a pattern here already? Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Go into 15, chapter 15, and I'm going to skip through some more Trinity language in the first part of it, but I want to go to verse 26 toward the end of John 15. When the helper comes, say helper again. When the helper comes, the third time in two chapters. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Again, the same phrase. So there's no confusion. So there's no ambiguity. So there's no uh, misunderstanding. Jesus takes John 14, John 15, John 16, and even, we won't get into it, but into John 17, and has this long narrative on the Trinity. Almost the entire chapters of, the, of these four chapters are Jesus' discourse on the Holy Spirit to make sure that there's, there's no confusion, there's no ambiguity about what he believes is the most important thing that we need to talk about in the kingdom, and even more so, especially today. I'll get to that in just a moment. Right? So, verse 26 again, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. People will say oftentimes, well, where do you find the, tri you find the Trinity in so many single verses in, uh, in 14, 15, and 16? We just read one of them in 26. And you will testify also. <laughs> Hello? You, you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, let me just explain what's going on here. In this discourse, you'll see these words of read from 14 through 17. Jesus is seated with the disciples. Understood? Jesus is seated with the disciples. And while he is with them, he is talking about his exit. His strategy. What is it going to look like as things come to a close? He even takes this conversation into Acts chapter 1. We don't have the time. I set some of that up in, our, in the last message. But this discourse really goes, it takes a pause through the death, the burial, the resurrection, and then him, him showing himself on the beach in John 20. And then, at 21, then you see this, this last meeting that looks just like this one in Acts chapter 1. Do you remember where he was seated again with them in Jerusalem? And he said, stay here and wait for what? The helper. The promise of what? The promise of what? My father. Right? Wait for the promise. Which, I'm just quoting Acts, Acts 1. We don't have time to go there. Which I told you before. When did he tell you before? John 14, 15, 16, and 17. So I'm just tying in the last moments of Jesus' life. And how many, how many of you understand that the last words of someone are critical? Probably the DNA of a person. You squeeze somebody at the end of their life, and what is going to come out? The T-shirt message. Hello? Y'all, did it get quiet hour in here this morning? Come on now. Listen, I was preaching last week, and kids were throwing tennis shoes at me. 
in Detroit. Am I telling the truth? Jessica, we were in Detroit last week and kids were throwing tennis shoes at me. I, I reminded them if I see a size 12 curry, I'm keeping it. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> but I, I, listen, I, this, side's, this side's talking. I want to stay here until they bring me back there. But I truly believe that the last message and the last words of a person are critical because they are the things that, that when you're squeezed, they come out. And in Jesus' moments, in his last moments, he could not stop talking about the power of the Trinity. And more so, and more so, look at verse six, uh, chapter 16, because we get into the, the, why that's so important today. Look at verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Everybody say advantage. It is to your, it is better for you, one version says. It is better for you that I leave. Now, now, who says that? Talk about humility. Jesus, in his last moments, is not exalting himself. He's not telling them, stare, keep your eyes on. Listen, hear me. I know this sounds like another gospel. But we don't hear this. God, the Father we know. Jesus we know. But who is the Holy Spirit? And so when we even talk about this transition, this handoff, it almost sounds like another gospel. But I believe that Jesus right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, you know that's where he he is seated at the, of course he could glorify himself and walk into this room. And he has set his executive in his place 2,000 years ago, and, and the Holy Spirit is here, you understand, with no less power, no less authority. But Jesus, I believe right now, if you could just, if you could feel this tension in the room, Jesus right now, I believe, is sitting in his, in his chair on the right hand of the Father, leaning forward, smiling, saying, yes, tell them. I did this 2,000 years ago, and he's been ignored for decades and centuries Listen, listen, I'm telling you the end, and you guys are so sad. For if I do not go away, the what? Helper, say helper again, four times in three chapters. The helper will not be able to come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, and he goes on in righteousness and judgment. Hear me. The most important relationship that you have on this earth right now is the Holy Spirit. I want to I, I give you a quick history of the Holy Spirit. Can I do that? Like, just in, like, just seconds. We see the beginnings of the work of the Holy Spirit in the creation narrative, don't we? Well, the Bible says that, that the earth was formless and void. The, the expanse was, right, it, There was nothing. It literally said nothingness. And yet the spirit was brooding over the face of the deep. And in those moments when God the Father thought it and Jesus spoke it, the Holy Spirit executed creation. And now I want you to move forward to the the Ten Commandments, to the law. I I know this is a quick history, but we move from the creation narrative to now the, the, uh, the law, the narrative of the law. And the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning also. Do you remember when Moses climbed the mountain? Right? Moses climbs the mountain and he's up there. And this fire comes and the smoke and the presence is there. 
And the Holy Spirit rests upon him, and he walks down into the camp, and they can't even look at him. And in these first two narratives, the Holy Spirit lit up creation when God said, let there be light, hello. And then the Holy Spirit lights up Moses' face with the law. Don't you, t- don't you let the world take lit. The scriptures say, in, 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 hello, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. The, the, the scriptures say that Moses' face in the King James was what? Lit. Listen, this culture isn't lit. Okay, it's supposed to be like, like am I supposed to grab it and, and pop it or something like that? What, or like that, I don't know what it is, but don't, don't let the world take lit because the Holy Spirit was the beginning of lit. And then we move to the prophets. We could go through the kings. I'm skipping space here in history. You could go through the kings and wow, Josiah. Uh, it said, you walk through the kings and you see the presence of the Holy Spirit upon them. But you move into the prophets and the fire fell upon the prophets. Even Joel, you remember Joel? Ezekiel, the spinning wheel and firebrands coming off onto Israel. The Holy Spirit was there to light up Israel in that setting. Joel prophesies the, the fire from heaven and that the Holy Spirit would land upon our sons and our daughters, right? All of this history of the Holy Spirit all the way through and then the Messiah comes. Let me tell you something. Have you ever thought about this? That even Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Unpack that one with Dr. Tennyson or Amy Anderson, okay? Hear me. Jesus walking the earth for 30 years and then says, I must be baptized because it begins. And before it begins, the Holy Spirit rests upon him at his baptism. And then this incredible demonstration of the kingdom takes place. Move into, move into the apostles and all of the things that took place in the apostles, that, how they were radically changed, how they were radically changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you move into the last era, and that's the, the age of the church. So from creation to the church today, hear me, these words ring true. Listen, will you stand, please, all over this place? I know I sped through this, but God spoke to me this morning and said, I want you to spend as much time at the altars as you do preaching. Because I can only define the Holy Spirit, but he would demonstrate himself. Hello? I can only define the Holy Spirit but I believe that he will demonstrate himself. Hear me. Two simple things as we end. A demonstration of power and a demonstration of humility. Can I say something? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the first thing that happens is power. Yes, I believe in the initial physical evidence, but the initial physical evidence is not as important to me as the initial spiritual evidence. The initial spiritual evidence is power, which gives me then the willingness and the ability to walk in the initial physical evidence of the gifts that I believe begin with the gateway of praying in the Spirit. But hear me. Our generation has to stop equating the power of the Holy Spirit as speaking in tongues. Yeah, I pray. The last words last night... uh, For 22 years now, the last words that I speak are praying in the Spirit. And this morning, the first words that I spoke were praying in the Spirit. 
I've made that a spiritual discipline for the last 22 years. As Paul said, I pray in the Spirit more than you all. I love to pray in the Spirit, but hear me. The most important part of your relationship with the Holy Spirit is not praying in the Spirit. It is living in the power of the Spirit. And some of you can't get over your cussing because I heard it last night. I heard it last night as I was walking through the hallways. And I heard some kids around the corner who didn't know that I was coming up cussing. And I thought to myself, man, I wish, I hope they're here. Maybe it's the two that just ran out, right? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen. Because it's not, en- it's not enough to come to church, to come to chapel. We have to be the church. Some of us would rather go to church than be the church. But the Holy Spirit won't let you out that easy. The Holy Spirit won't let you just come to church and raise your hands and, and check into chapel with the little code that you see. By the time, we're going to flip some things on you. But anyway, listen, it's not about just coming here. It's about being there. Hello? Because so, it's so easy to come here and be professional at it. But the Holy Spirit won't let you be professional at it. He wants you to be powerful at it. And the reason why you cannot overcome those temptations in your life is because you do not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not that you didn't read enough. It's not that you're not hanging around the right people or that you don't have accountability partners or you're not going to talking to, the, to your uh, floor chaplain or your devotional leader. That's not what it is. You need a relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit who will convict you of sin. Everyone in this room needs to understand the power of the most important relationship that you have on this earth right now because it will free you from sin. And the second thing that that power does is make you a witness. Man, the reason why it's so difficult for you to witness even on your floor in a Christian university, in a Pentecostal university, is because you're not being led by the Spirit. You're not being led by the Spirit. The last thing I want to say is humility. And it goes both ways. I truly believe that if you're not crying, you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. My wife used to say to me, I know when you're not praying because you don't cry. It's one of the most powerful statements ever said to me that reminds me of my spiritual disciplines. Jessica and I were praying last night in, this, in the apartment where we were. And we're, as, we're, as we began to pray, tears streamed down our face for you. Because I believe Gen Z, Alpha Gen coming after them, are missing the most important part of their life. And that is the representation of the Trinity through the Holy Spirit in their daily lives. I want to ask you to do something. Will you just step out where you're at before we leave? We've got seven minutes. And would you fill the front of this place? Come on, right now. From the balcony to the bottom, I want you to come and fill the front of this place. Right now. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life right now. Come on. I want you to invite power. I want you to invite humility into your life. Here's the other part of humility. Not only will he, will he give you power over sin, he will humble you because of sin in your life. He will humble you because of sin. Listen, it's easy to go out and sin when you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because that conviction and that repentance is not there. You, you know, listen, too many of us in this room have been repenting without conviction. 
Can I say that again? Too many of you in this room have been repenting without conviction. So you know you might do something wrong and you say, I'm sorry for it, but you were never convicted of it. Why? Because you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit is guiding your life into truth, there will be conviction first because conviction should come before repentance. Otherwise, repentance is religious. Can I say that again? Otherwise, it's just rote. Otherwise, it's just something we do. God, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. And then we go back and we do it again. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit wasn't a part of the conviction. You'll never be able to change your life until you are convicted. Conviction must precede repentance. And that's what the Holy Spirit is so good at. He will break you. He will break you for your sin. Holy Spirit, right now, would you fill this room? Would you fill this room? I'm asking right now that you'll fill every student and leader with power and humility. Power and humility. Come on, will you pray that right now? God, I want your power. I want your power to be a witness, and I want your power to live for you. Come on, say that. I want your power I have to. I can't do this. You've seen what I've done. You've seen what I've done. I am powerless. Powerless. Holy Spirit, rest upon me right now. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. The Spirit is moving. Come rest on us. We ask. Come on. Pray that prayer. Come rest on us. The Spirit is moving all over this earth. I wish I could take you to China. I wish I could take you to, to Africa. I wish I could take you to the underground church in China and visit what God is doing there. I wish I could take you to the Crusades in Africa and show. I wish you could see the healing revivals going on in Argentina right now. I wish you could just see it in the mind of your life. And then you would realize that we are living in some dark times in America. God, bring, bring power and bring humility. Bring power and bring humility. I pray this. Pray this. Listen, I want to say something. I have the advantage, disadvantage of being in a different church or a different organization every single week. Somewhere in America, in a small, medium, or large church, in an urban, suburban, or rural center, and I see the church in all kinds of conditions, healthy and unhealthy, growing and not growing, Opening and closing. I, I get to see that. President Hagen will tell you the same thing. One of the most, one of the most uh, asked questions of those of us who travel is, what is God doing? Are we close to revival? I get that question every week. Are we close to revival? Is God pouring out a spirit? And my answer has always been for the last few years, no, we aren't even close. And I know that sounds like, I'm an idealist, man. I am such an idealist. But I'm just, I'm a realist also. Let me tell you why I just don't throw words out there like, yes, revival's right around the corner. And, and I, listen, I get caught saying those things out of faith and out of watering the well. But hear me, you will know when an awakening and a revival is hitting this country. You will know. 
okay? Because there isn't an awakening in church history that didn't begin without repentance. It didn't happen by taking the pastor out of suits and putting the pastor in jeans. It didn't happen when we started planting more churches than any other denomination. Listen, revival doesn't take place when you get new websites. It doesn't take place when you sing new songs. Uh, Hear me. Revival doesn't have a date at the beginning or the end until repentance. You could not read the history of revivals in America since, since the first great awakening, the second great awakening, into the, uh, into the Azusa Street outpouring in L.A. in 1901, and then into the Cane Ridge uh, outpouring in Kentucky, and then into the Jesus movement in the 67 to 79. You, you, you couldn't visit any of them and not see repentance. That's where it begins, and America isn't even close to repentance. We are actually living on the opposite spectrum of repentance. You want to see a university? Listen, there are people that have been in this university for years who could tell you about when repentance hit this campus in the 1970s. And people would walk through where you could walk through. That was just a hallway right above us. Where you could walk through and people would be witnessing the end of chapels and even into the evenings when chapel was going on and they they would fall out under the power of God and start repenting of their sin in the hallway. You don't see that here. That's not what's happening in America. We don't even, we don't begin with repentance. We begin, you know what we begin with? I'm sorry, forgive me. And it is a a repentless, hear me, it is a repentless forgiveness. And the author of that repentance is the Holy Spirit. That conviction, that's what he brings Holy Spirit, walk with us. I know we're walking out of this place now. I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would glorify Christ in the word and you would lead us to the Father. I pray this. Lord, we ask that this this ministry of the Holy Spirit would, would flood our weekend, change our language, change our thoughts, change our friends. Give us prophetic words on the streets this week. Give us prophetic words in our, in, in our dormitory rooms, in the classroom this afternoon as we finish. Holy Spirit, lead this, lead this university. As you're doing all over this, this, this world, as the Spirit is moving over, come on, say it. Come on, move over us. Pray it. Come rest on us. Come on, make this our prayer as we finish.